Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. This week, we're wrapping up our series called The Generous Life. Next week, we're actually starting into our Easter series, as we'll be only four weeks away from Easter starting next week. And our, our, our Easter series is going to be called The Old Rugged Cross. And we're going to look at some of the words that Jesus spoke from the cross of, as he was hanging on the cross, dying for our sins. What did Jesus say and what can we learn from that? But last week we started just this mini-sermon series, as I said, called The Generous Life. And this week we're going to be looking at a story from 2 Samuel chapter 23. If you've got your Bibles and you'd like to to turn to there to follow along, 2 Samuel chapter 23 is where we're going to be looking. But we started looking at this idea of how we're supposed to look at the world and everything in it. And specifically our world and everything in it. Last week, we, we laid the foundation for, for how are we supposed to see everything. And last week, we talked about how God is the creator and the sustainer of the world. And because he's that, he is the owner of everything. And that means us and our worlds. God has entrusted part of his world to us. He has given us authority over it, but he didn't transfer ownership of it. It never stopped being his. And so this week, I want us to take a look at the so what. So, so what of that? So if we understand that to be true, if everything is God's, if it's all God's, then what? Then what does that mean for us? And so this is where I want to take us to this, the story that's found in, in second, or 20, or second Samuel chapter 23. The, the story doesn't actually happen chronologically here, but this is where the story, the account of the story is taken place. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, um, King David in the Old Testament, um, you may be familiar with, with that name, um, he's dying. Is, is his life is coming to an end. We actually read his last words. And then in verse 8, there's the, we're, we're given these stories, these, these accounts of these incredible Warriors, these, these mighty soldiers that David had, that these men who were, were amazing in battle. And, and we read about some of the amazing things that they did in battle, the, these incredible stories of, of victory and, and how incredible they were as soldiers. But in there, there's one specific story that I want to highlight for you. And it illustrates what we're going to talk about today. But I also need to warn you. Because this story is perhaps one of the most frustrating stories for me personally in all of the Bible. I know where we're going this morning. And as I recount this story to you, I'm already starting to feel a little frustrated. And, and have it, because it's just, it goes against, it's, it doesn't go against it seems to go against so much of, of who, what matters. And, but there's this incredible story about these, these three, we'll see how you feel about it in a minute, but there's these three mighty men. 
Joshab, Basabeth, Eleazar, and Shammah. And they are like David's own Avengers initiative. They, they, when, when everything else falls apart, when, when things are impossible, these, these are the guys you send to go and do the impossible. The, the, this is his Thor, his Captain America, and his other guy, Iron Man. Um, that, that you, he sends, when it's like, okay, everything else is falling apart, we have no other choice. Okay, send them in, they'll be fine. And, and David... So, so at the point where we're going to look at, David and his men, they're hiding in a cave in a place called Adullam. And, and we read that it's harvest time. It will specifically tell us at harvest time. And why that's important is because that means that the time of year it is, they're in the Middle East, so it's always hot. But this time of year is especially hot. This is the hottest point of the year. And, and living in a cave and being on the run, David's on the run. The reason why he's living in a cave is because the, the Philistines are attacking and, and David has been forced out of, of, of his sort of his kingship and he, he's living in a cave on the run for his life. And when you're living in a cave on the run, one thing you don't necessarily have is a steady stream of fresh, clean, enjoyable water. Add on to that, it's really hot out. And all of those things together means that, that David is getting thirsty. And what happens to David is something that happens to all of us. You know, there, there are times in our lives where, where we go through a different circumstance and, and we start to like imagine and remember how good things used to be. And, and we have these moments where, where as David is thirsty, his, his heart and his mind begins to drift back to the water he used to drink as a boy in Bethlehem. And oh, was that water sweet. Oh, was that water. Oh, I loved that water. And, and he has this, this special affection for this. And he, he remembers going to the well and, and being refreshed by the water. But the well has been taken into the hands of the Philistines. It was occupied territory. The Philistines had actually turned that area into a military base from, from which they could launch further attacks. So there was no hope in getting to this well. It, it was behind enemy lines. But, but David remember, oh, you know, when, you, when you're sick and you, you think back, you're like, oh, my mom's chicken soup. Oh, I could just go for some of that right now. Or, or you know, you have that kind of moment and... As the temperature rises and David is getting more thirsty and, and getting more wishful, we, we come to verse 15 of, of 2 Samuel chapter 23. And, and David says this. He says, David longed for some water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. David has this nostalgic moment. Oh, do you know what would be so good right now? Oh, that water I had when I was a kid. I am so thirsty. Oh, nothing could quench my thirst like that. And these, these three Avengers hear him say that. And they think, huh, David would like some water. Our king wants a drink from the well at Bethlehem. We could do that. It's behind enemy. We don't care. Let's, we could do this. 
So they go on this mission on their own lives to, to get the king a drink of water on a hot day. Verse 16. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistines' lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. They didn't sneak. It wasn't a stealth operation. They, they went to war. The three of them went to war with the Philistines, and they pushed back the enemy. They didn't go in and sneak in and sneak out. They fought their way in and they fought their way out and they had this precious water for the king. Imagine how David felt. Oh, I could go for some of that right now. And then his mighty men show up and say, King, look what we have for you. Look what we got for you. They show them the depths of the love and respect that they had for their king. You asked for a drink from this water. You thought it was impossible. Here it is, man. Here it is. But this is where the story takes a turn, at least for me, into this amazing story to frustrating as we read the rest of verse 16. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it for me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of the men who went at the risk of their own lives? And David would not drink it. They go to all this trouble. And David pours it out on the ground. I cannot get away from my irritation in this moment. You know, people will talk about different love languages and those kind of things. One of, one of my love languages is, is I'm an acts of service person. I like to do things for people to demonstrate that I care for them. And this just like eats away at the core of who I am. That I do something nice for somebody. I, somebody, oh, I'm thirsty. And I go get you a cup of water and, and you go, thanks. We're not going to be good after that. I get irritated as I read this and I know where we're going this morning, but these moments, it just, I, ooh. They went to all this trouble and David just pours it out on the ground. What on earth is taking place here? David was so thirsty. He, he makes a mention of something he wished, but he believed to be impossible, and a, a drink from this well, and his men go risk life and limbs so that he can have what he wants, so that he can have a drink from this water, and David pours it on the ground. See, David doesn't simply consider his needs and wants. But in being given this incredible gift, David looks at the meaning of this gift, the, the picture, the, what this gift of water symbolizes for him. He looks and he sees the lives of his men. He looks and he sees that what they did. He looks and he doesn't see a cup of water on a hot day. Instead, he takes the gift that he's been given, this incredible gift, and instead of keeping it for himself, he uses it for the highest purpose he could think of. To worship God with it. That David looks at this, this water and he says to himself, I can't drink that. 
And he, he pours it out as an offering before the Lord. See, when David looked at this cup, he, he saw the blood of the three men who had risked their lives to satisfy his want of this water. To, 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 to drink the water for, for David would be to demean and cheapen the brave deed of these three heroes. And instead, what David does, and this is part of what we can miss, what I can miss looking back on this, David turns this cave into a temple. And he pours out the water as a drink offering to the Lord. See, we as we, you know, because we don't live in light of the Old Testament entirely, we live in light of the New Testament, and we don't come to church and, and perform sacrifices and offerings in the same way. You, you didn't bring a bull with you this morning. You didn't bring a dove with you this morning. We're not slaughtering and killing them during the, the church today and pulling them apart and walk, walking down the middle of them and, and all of it. Because we don't do that, we don't necessarily see what's taking place here. But one of the offerings, one of the sacrifices that they were called to give in the Old Testament was to give a drink offering to the Lord. It was part of their sacrificial way that they you know, interacted with God was that they were to give drink offerings to the Lord. So we read this and, and we just, he pours it out and it says, he poured it out to God, but like it gets me because I think even if you poured out the drink that I got and you said, ah, that was to God. Say, so, well, then God can get you your next cup. You know, but, but for David, he, he is worshiping God with this. He poured out the water as a drink offering to the Lord, just as the priests had been called to in the temple. So what does this mean for us? What does this have to do with generosity for us? What, what, is this what does this have to teach us about our lives and how we're supposed to worship God? What does this mean for us? Well, the Apostle Paul draws the connection for us in two places, in Philippians chapter 2 and in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In both of those places, Paul will use the same phrasing to talk about himself and his life. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 17, he will say this, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad to rejoice with all of you. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul will write, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. David had been given the gift of this water and instead of just keeping it to himself, instead of just using it for himself, he, he worshipped God with it. And Paul takes this picture and applies it to his life. He says, I'm being poured out like this drink offering. I'm being used to worship God. I'm not being kept to myself. I'm being poured out like this drink offering. And it applies it to, to his life and to ours. Obviously, once, once water is poured onto the ground, it can't be taken back. It's absorbed by the ground alone and, and you can't, take it back. In a similar way, God expects us to be used fully for him and for him alone without keeping anything for us. That our lives are to be like a drink offering. That they are to be given to the Lord. And like we talked about last time, not having areas in our life where we say, well, God, I'll give you this 
but, but I'm going to give you that, or I'm going to keep that. Last time we talked about how our world and everything in it belongs to God. And so when Paul will say that his life is a drink offering, he's saying that his world and everything in it belongs to God, and he's going to use it to worship him. So what does it look like for us to pour ourselves out like Paul speaks about here? What does it look like to offer our lives as a drink offering before the Lord? What does that, what does that mean? What does that look like? It's, it gets conceptual and it's a neat metaphor, but, but practically, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I think that there's, there's sort of three things that, that we can use to, to see what it would mean to pour out our lives before God, to allow us to worship God with everything we had. Three areas of our lives that if we can hand these over to God and say, God, do with them what you will, that our lives will be able to say our lives are, are, are an offering to God. The, the first way is to pour, oh, to pour out our time. More important than just about anything is to be available. Jesus will say that there's no greater love than this, that, that one would lay down their life for their friends. Now, we can take that and we can apply it in grand, per, like, you know, lay down life. That means to die. But it also just means to put other people as a part of your life. To, to lay down what I want to do, to, to lay, you know, to, hey, Brad, can, can we talk? Sure. I was going to go have some lunch, but let's talk. Hey, can we talk? Well, I, you know, I was playing video games. No, we, we can, I can lay down my life in this moment to just simply be available. Sometimes the most valuable thing you have is just your presence. Sometimes one of the most significant things that you can have is just to be there for someone. We was at, a, at the memorial service yesterday for, for David, and a number of times the, the members of the family came and thanked me for all I did for David, which is awkward because I didn't really do anything just sat next to him while he was in a hospital bed. I didn't, I didn't build him anything. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I, I, I was just there with him. But they were so grateful, not because of all of the, because of presence. And for each one of us, one of the most valuable things that we can offer to other people is just simply to be there with them to lend a hand, to be on a schedule, to be an ear or a shoulder to cry on or a paint roller to paint. It's not about what you can do. It's just about what you can do. I, I can be there for you. I'm glad to come along. Can I come alongside? Can you come alongside? I sure can. That One of the most valuable things that we can give to somebody else is our time. The second thing that we can way that we can pour out our lives is to pour out our talent. See, last time I said that, or with the last one, I said it's not what you can do; it's what you can do. 
But sometimes it is what you can do. See, Scripture will tell us that, that God had purposed us for good works since before the foundation of the world. And do you know what that means? That means that before the foundation of the world, God had put things in you for things that you are to do, and you are gifted to do these things. That it's not just that, hey, I could, I, I could be there, but, but I, I actually know how to do that. And, and God has gifted me to be able to do that. God has placed inside of you gifts and talents. Friends, every single one, this is true for you, even for, for, you know, I think Dominic's probably the youngest one in here, and it's true for him, and it's true all the way through to the oldest of us. You're good at something. You have been gifted to be good at something. You are good at things. God has placed all of, all of the things that are good inside of you for the advancement of his kingdom. You, you, maybe you've never thought about that before. And you looked at your skills and, and the things that you're good at and you say, well, I'm good at this, but that, that's not really about the kingdom of God. That, that's just what I do. But God has placed that inside of you because he needs you to be good at it to fulfill the role in the kingdom that he's given you to do what you are good at, what you have a passion for, God put inside of you, and He will use you through it. Sometimes we can feel anxious and, and nervous because maybe we don't want to show off. Maybe, maybe we think, well, to be humble means I can never show anybody that I can do that. Or, or maybe we feel insecure because, well, I think maybe I'm good at it, but if I do it in front of people, what if it turns out I'm not? What if. Yeah, I'll tell the story anyway. Um, I was like, do I have time for this? Maybe. When I was in grade five, and I've told this story, I think, probably, so if you've been here for a long time, maybe you've heard this before. But when I was in grade five, um, I entered a drawing contest at the school I was in. And I entered a drawing, and I finished in third place for the whole, or for the whole grade five. And I was so, so proud. I thought, hey, I didn't know I was an artist, but it turns out I'm an artist. And they had a whole assembly thing. And they presented, all, it wasn't just for the art thing. There was a whole bunch of things going on in the school. One of the things they did was they, they handed out the art things. And when they came time to hand out the art things, they, I was first because I was in third place. But what they said was, Brad did this drawing and we just thought it was hilarious. We just thought, it may, when we saw it, we just laughed. And, and they, were, they weren't trying to be mean or rude. They, the only way that they saw that someone could interpret this drawing was if they were trying to be funny. They couldn't see a world where that drawing was meant to be taken seriously. The only person in the whole school that thought, hey, I think I did a pretty, was me. <laughs> it was in that moment that I may not have known what God had gifted me to do, but I sure knew what he hadn't gifted me to do. <laughs> I was not an artist. And sometimes we can live in that fear that, well, if I say, you know, if I think, well, if I put myself out there, and then what happens if it turns out that I'm just no good? Oh, that would be embarrassing. That would be scary. That would be, that would be difficult. But God has given you talents and abilities, and he's placed them inside of you for a reason. And the last thing that we can do is we can pour out our treasure. 
We need to use everything that we've been given to see the advancement of God's kingdom. And friends, that includes our finances. One of the most powerful and tangible gifts that we have been given is that we can live, or that we have been given, is our finances. But it's also one of the most difficult places that we live in is the tension between our finances and God. Think for a moment, or I think for most people, the hardest bridge for us to cross is between God and our finances. To give our money to God, to be generous with our finances, to trust God's promise in every area of our lives, including this one. And this is, this is one of the greatest grieving moments for me as a pastor. Not because of all the money that's not coming in. That, that's not why it's grieving, but, but because of all of the people, my heart breaks for us as, as we struggle and we can live out of a place of such bondage and reluctance that would say, God, I can't trust you with this. I, I, God, I want to trust you with all areas of my life, but this one, it's a bridge too far. I can't trust you has nothing to do with the church needing a bigger budget, needing a bigger, better building. That's not where my heart is. That's not my fantasy, and that's not my dream. But what grieves me for, for us as, as a generation, as a people, is that we, I, I want to see us all live from a place of freedom in all areas of our lives. And when we read that God has called us to give part of our finances to the church, do we really believe that, that God wants what's best for us when he told us to do that? Do we really believe that God knows that this is what's best for us and by doing this and by listening to what God has to say, then somehow that will lead me to the best possible place? Or... Do I believe that until God asks for certain things? And then I say, well, God, you know, I think you've got most of this making sense, but I don't know if you're right about this one. See, when we look at what God has said to us, what, what God has called us to do, what, what God has called us to give, when God pokes us in the right place and it hurts, when God pokes us in our wallet, when God pokes us in our calendar, when God pokes us in our to-do list, and it hurts just a little, or maybe it hurts a lot, and suddenly do we, do we become so sure, not sure that God really has our best interests in mind? See, one of the reasons why Jesus died on the cross was so that we could be free. And that means freedom from all areas in our lives. That's, it's bondage to addiction. It's bondage to expectations. It's bondage to to-do to lists. And it's bondage to money. I want you to be free. And included in that is to see freedom in our finances by giving them over to God. 
And it, 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 this all comes down to our view of God. If we see God as generous, that, that he can protect us, that he can guide us, that he wants what's best for us, and more than that, he knows what's best for us. And that the things that he's asked us to do, they, they will actually lead us to what's best for us. If we can believe that, then we can trust God in that. Now, you may have heard of this. This is a long build-up to talk about money. Oh, pastor just wanted to talk about money. The pastor mentions money, and sometimes that's all people hear. Or it's all that people need to hear in order to tune out. That I may have lost some of the room as soon as, oh shoot, I didn't know this was a church who talked about money. Back to the search for churches. <laughs> to be sure, this is about money because it has to be. That as the pastor of the church, I want to do my best to help you confront the strongholds that the enemy has created in your life. And one of the strongholds that is the strongest, that is the most prevalent in our lives, is to be able to say, God, it's my money, not yours. Because for many of us, the greatest tug of war in our lives between what is ours and what is God's, we can give a whole lot of stuff to God, but that one is a little bit more difficult. But just like it has to be about money, it can't only be about money. You are more than your wallet. You are more than your check. You are more than your bank account. It's not just about money. Because there may be some people here who hear me talk about money and go, thank God he's talking about money. More people need to tithe like me. I don't need to listen to this. I've given God that part of my life, isn't it? Oh, this is part God. Pastor, get him. <laughs> we all have strongholds in our lives. We live in a dark enough world. We, we live in a world where people are so vocal about what's wrong. We live in criticism enough. Imagine for a minute what your life could be like if we were just generous with our words, with the world, with the world around us. Imagine if you were just generous with the kindness of your words. Could you imagine the power of just sending someone a text message of something nice? Just because. For no reason. Not to butter them up to ask for something. But just to say, hey, I was thinking about you today. I think you're great. Have a good day. Imagine the change that we... Imagine the change in your life if you woke up tomorrow morning and that text was on your phone. And friends, we have the power to do that for one another. You have the power to do that for other people in the church. You can change the whole outlook on someone's day in 15 seconds. Maybe 30 seconds if your thumbs are a little bit clumsy. 
But we have the power in our generosity, if we're kind and generous with our words, to change someone's entire day just by saying, I haven't seen you yet, but I'll bet you look stunning. Have a great day. And that's the place they start their day from. See, God wants us to be generous with our life. God wants us to be generous with our skills. God wants us to be generous with our grace. God wants us to be generous with our words, to be generous with our talents, to be generous with our time, to be generous with our treasure, to be generous with the gifts that he has given you. There is so much talent in these seats. You are so gifted. We as a church are so blessed because God has brought so many gifted, talented, amazing people and stuffed them together into one room. And Ludovic said earlier, you've got a great view from up here, and I sure do. Because you are amazing. You are so gifted. You are so talented. And God has called us to be generous with all of that. With everything we have, God has called us to be generous with ourselves. There are kids here who need your love. We're short of Sunday school teachers. Pastor Matt talked about our youth ministry. Could there be anything more vital? There, there are people walking through these doors for the very first time that need your smile. There are people that need you to help make all the lights and the projectors and the sounds happen. There are people who need you to be you because God has gifted you to be you. You are so insanely talented. And I am so blessed to be the pastor of a church with such talented people. And we are not called to keep our talent to ourselves. We're not, or we are called to live our lives just like David did with his water. To see the gifts that we've been given, our time, our talent, and our treasure. And to see them as so, so, so valuable that we dare not keep them for ourselves. But instead, we, we, because of their great value, we must pour them out in worship to God. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm so grateful for everyone gathered here today, for, for those watching online, God, just as a moment of, of personal prayer to you, God, I am so thankful for each one of these people. God, I am so grateful for each part of my Hillside family. I am so grateful for each one who comes here week after week, for each one who's come here for the first time this week. God, I am so grateful that you have blessed me with such gifted, talented, amazing people in my life. God, I thank you that you saw fit to bring this kind of talent and these kinds of people together. God, I am so, so grateful. And God, I pray that for each of us, God, as we've talked about what it means to live a generous life, God, as we've, we've seen that really at the heart of generosity is not to somehow do anything motivated by ourselves, but at the heart of generosity is to say, God, it's all yours. What would you have me do with it? God, my prayer for each one of us 
is that we would be able to see the strongholds in our lives that, that keep us from being able to fully hand everything over to you, that those strongholds would just be brought to nothing in the name of Jesus. God, would you show us in our lives areas where, where we've said, God, I won't do this for you. God, I can't do this for you. God, I think it would be wrong of me to do this for you. God, I'm scared to do this for you. God, I'm worried. God, what will people think? God, all the areas where we've come up with all the reasons why we can't, God, in the name of Jesus, would you just tear those down? Would you allow us to be free? Your word will tell us that it's, it's for freedom that you've set us free. And so God, I pray for freedom in all of our lives, in every area, in every place where our hearts have, have become distant from you, even without us realizing it, even in a way that maybe we've justified entirely away. God, would you show us how we can be who you've called us to be. And in the name of Jesus, I just pray for freedom. God, help us to live generously today with all that you've given us and with all that we are. We see your generosity in the cross of Christ. As we move closer to Easter, God, may we not be confused as to whether or not we serve a generous God. But God, may we see in the cross the ultimate picture of generosity. And God, may we do our best to reflect that to you as well. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. Expand just because you can, but I know you're more concerned.
I'm just living in it. 